Hey, sis. Thank you for tuning into the season one wrap up of the She Leads podcast series. Today, I will sit with three of the four panelists. Unfortunately, Lacey Alexander could not join us today to have a candid discussion about what they are doing now since their podcast aired. We will also discuss some key points from their podcast, and they will answer questions from some dope souls who are in attendance. Are you ready to take this journey with us? Let's go. All right. Good morning, everyone. And thank you for joining us for the She Leads podcast series wrap up. And today, what we are going to do is we are going to talk to these amazing women about their journey in leadership. If you have any questions that you would like to have answered, or, you know, maybe there were some talking points that you would like to discuss, this is the time to do so. So today we have Chief Master Sergeant Egan's. We have Master Sergeant Kiana Campbell, and we also have Lieutenant Colonel Tommy Grant, and we are just going to have a good time. So like we were talking beforehand, and (laughs) um, it was just a bunch of positivity and and those different things, Um, we're really going to dig into the leadership piece. Um, So if you listen to the podcast, you understand... um, what their journeys were like. And I was talking to Colonel Grant yesterday, we were coming from an official function and she said, I just loved how there was a connection and I'm paraphrasing, but everyone had a similar journey, even though their journeys were different. Um, So with that, I just want to go ahead and get started (laughs) because this is I'm so excited about all of this energy that was here beforehand. And for those of you that are watching and maybe you didn't get a chance to come to the event, this is for you um, because we want you to know that leading is a journey that you don't have to take alone. You need to have your tribe, you need to have your circle, and you know you also need to make sure that you are taking care of yourself mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, whatever that may look like. So one, I want to reach out to our panelists and just say thank you for taking the time out on this Saturday morning. Um, I know we have all types of obligations because of the different hats that we wear, but I am so excited and I just thank you all for being here. Well, thank you. Thank you. I know I'm excited. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for inviting us. We appreciate it. You're welcome. So let's get started. Um, I know everybody recorded, we did our recordings back in December um, and some of us in November and here it is, February of 2021. (laughs) And I feel like that went by so quick. And so when we begin and we start talking, I want to know, one, how are y'all doing? Right. And I asked that because we did our interviews in 2020 and it's 2021 now it's February. So how is life and how are you doing? I guess I can start. Um, So life for me has been crazy. Um, I think that um, it is 
it's uh, so um, ironic because by the time my portion aired, a lot of my um, circle of trust or even my accountability were like, you're supposed to be taking a seat. Why are you doing interviews? Why are you doing? I'm like, this was, <laughs> we did this in November. It's okay. Um, but it's been, it has definitely been a whirlwind. And um, I was telling um, Shanika when, uh, when this initially aired, I still was in San Antonio. And I was like, I must really be impactful because it was more than just my melanin sisters that was coming up to me that <laughs> was saying they love the interview, they could relate, um, which is something that's really big because I think um, one of the misconceptions that we even sometimes place on ourselves is that we may only um, uh, connect with a certain demographic. So to know that there was individuals who I didn't even think would actually listen or even um, you know knew that we actually did this series were impacted by this, um, but it's been a whirlwind. But I'm I'm especially thankful for my circle, especially during a time like now, because as you can see, I'm quarantining uh, at Andrews alone. <laughs> but I don't ever feel alone. So, but it's been crazy. It is. It, it feels like okay. So is this gonna be 2020 again? I hope not. But it's been good. <laughs> Definitely been good. Okay. Thank you, uh, Colonel Grant. Hey. Yes. Uh, I gotta echo what uh, Kiana said. Um, I was just in my neighborhood and one of uh, our fellow, uh, one of our fellow co-workers uh, saw me and I was doing my little jogging and everything. And she was like, I just listened to your podcast. It was amazing. And I'm like, okay, awesome. But like you, uh, Kiana, just like you said, you just don't know who you're going to affect and who will, uh, it'll resonate with them. Um, as far as how my year is going so far, it is going um, amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, it is going scary. <laughs> uh, it is going even with peace. It's going with peace, but scary. And I say that because several things have happened. One, I um, decided to retire. So I dropped my paperwork. So Ooh. now I am in that, in that mode, or at least in that place. It's been approved, one. Two, because I have such amazing women like you all who are doing phenomenal things, I decided to start my side hustle, something that based on my introverted, introverted self, I've never done. So now I'm, I'm moving, which is why I got to leave in 45 minutes. Right. <laughs> I got to, you know, I got to get on it as well. And um, uh, Chief uh, Witherspoon, she had said something earlier, it's coming into your power like 2021 I don't know what it is 20 was so introspective I had to sit back and and assess some things some change some things around 2021 hit and it's been like okay let's get on this and I'm so grateful that I have women around me that are doing such big things that I have somebody to call with everything that are just inspired me all of you guys inspired me just listening to your cast so that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. And Chief Egan's. Well, well, 2020 was definitely a, um, and I'm, I apologize about the background, but 2020 was, uh, it was a, I don't want to say a good year because I don't, I, I am aware of um, all of the disasters that happened. I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. But a, a lot of good things happened to me in 2020 that propelled me into 
the forefront and on a stage that I never thought that I would be on. Um, example would be, you know, your podcast and uh, different panels that I have done. And so 2020, it really pushed me out of my comfort zone. Um, and But also I did a lot of reflection regarding just my leadership style, regarding me as a person, uh, people that were in my circle, uh, different things like that. So, and, and I like to say that all of what I went through, even though there were a lot of good things that happened, it prepared me for 2021. And so the year has started out in a little bit of chaos as I am out processing <laughs> to go to a new location. Um, I am actually taking on some responsibilities to a new location where I'm not there yet, uh, as well as I'm in school right now and following uh, Chief Weatherspoon's lead, looking at programs to start my um, doctorate. And so, uh, and, and, and family is great, good. I mean, we, we've had quite a few COVID outbreaks within the family. Um, we've had some scares, but luckily everybody is doing well. And, uh, and, and I just want to say that I have, since I have done your podcast, the, the December one that aired, uh, I echo what the other uh, Kiana and Colonel Grant were saying is that people are coming out of nowhere and they're saying, oh, I remember we were stationed here together and sending me emails and just showing love. And uh, I'm thankful for that. And I'm grateful for that as I uh, continue on my journey with uh, trying to be better at what I am. So thank you so much. So I thank you ladies for sharing that. And I asked that question because I wanted other women to see that it's okay to wear these multiple hats and do these different things and things are going to change. And I remember, you know, there was a term that was used a lot. It's like, oh, what is that work-life balance? And I'll be honest with y'all. I don't know about the balance piece. All I know is about the alignment, right? Like, okay, so let's, how am I going to navigate this? How am I going to move this? And I thank you all for sharing where you have ended up as of 2021, because there have been some changes. So um, like Kiana said at the time, she was in San Antonio and now she's at Andrews. Colonel Grant was, you know, full time. And now she's like, I hit the button and I'm rolling out, right? And then Chief Egan's is PCSing as well. And I think it's beautiful because even in that, we're still figuring out who we are as all of these different titles and these requirements, but yet we're still making sure that we are reaching out to our circles and just reflecting and doing those different things. So I think that is amazing. And so, I, can I, I also like to say, cause I, I wanna point out um, something very specific that may be overlooked. Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of visibility. I think within our Air Force Nucleus, we have an amazing group of leaders that may not always have the opportunity to share right. um, their perspective on leadership on a large scale, on a platform that's on several platforms. You could go to Apple, you could go to Spotify, you could go to Anchor and you can be able to listen to the podcast. So I want I want to say from a listener perspective, uh, thank you for being transparent, being vulnerable, um, 
talking to she leads i want to thank the creator of the series because that that thought that spark you know ignited a flame within those people that you chose that you had in close proximity enough and was able to see the leadership they have to put them on the platform because what we often do in the air force is we look at the people who are most visible and we forget right. that the air force and the leaders within it and and the ones who are doing the amazing work and growing the other people that will grow people right. um are not always visible so i just want to say from a listener perspective thank you all very very much for opening up your hearts and opening up your mouths and giving <laughs> such good nuggets to uh, people like me who are listening yeah, that thanks, Chief. That was spot on. Um, and I'll be honest, when I was making my list, spot on, Chief. <laughs> when I was making the list, I'm like, man, it's so many dope people that's just out here killing the game. And a lot of us are behind the scenes. Like we're pushing people, and Colonel Grant mentioned this. I'm I'm not out front, I'm in the back pushing my people to be great. And I just wanted people to see that. Like, you don't have to be the loudest person in the room. Because as y'all can see, we got a few introverts on the on the line. Um, and then knowing that it's also okay to be loud with your voice. And, and it's funny because um, with Kiana's episode, she was so concerned about, oh, I'm so loud. I sound so loud. And the only thing I text back <laughs> to her was, yes, but your voice needed to be heard. Right? So I... I no, ma'am. 100% agree. she was like you always loud and it's okay because your voice needs to be heard she put that thank on the front though (laughs) right yeah so um chief i thank you for that because as a creator it's like man am i doing the right thing is this going to reach the people that it needs to reach Um, And I see that it has. And all of us are truly thankful for all of you that have listened to the series. And, you know, that feedback, whatever you guys have, whatever questions you have, just send it our way. And we're, we are going to answer because knowledge is key, right? Like everyone on this panel, they're willing to share. And I think that's an important part of leadership as well. So I want to, there are um, some attendees and I would like to um, switch it over to you all uh, for any questions that you may have for those that are on the panel. And um, Chief, I know you had some, I'm not sure if Latoya has some. And then of course, um, Alicia, if you have anything that you would like to ask anyone on the panel, please feel free to do so. So this is Alicia Peters, and thank you for the opportunity to be a part of this podcast today. I'm really grateful, and I did reach out to Shanika the other day, just saying how she's such an inspiration to me, and I am an introvert as well. Most people don't believe it, but I am. (laughs) So I will uh, just want to thank you. I think this is phenomenal, and uh, Chief Egan's, you did mention how you are thinking about pursuing your doctorates. And I will tell you, I'm full-fledged into mine. Uh, the goal is to be Dr. Peters by December. So my dissertation, <laughs> awesome. Is actually awesome. about, my dissertation is actually on African-American women in the federal sector. 
and hypervisibility and invisibility. And my question to the panel members is at any point in time, did you feel like you had to de-emphasize your culture, who you were as a female, as a African-American woman to climb the leadership ladder? Or did you play the more invisible role of let me assimilate and see how far it would get me? Thank you. Girl, that I, is a lot. And well, okay, Chief, did you want to answer first? Because I know you have to. Go ahead, Colonel Grant. Go ahead, ma'am. Ooh. Yes, yes, and yes. Done all of it. Literally done all of it. And having been in, I'm hitting 22 years. I'll be walking out at 22 years and finally feeling like I can be my authentic self. But this didn't start at year one. So I wish I had Chief Witherspoon fabulousness and could do what she, uh, hey, I'm just going to give it to them and they're going to take it. No. Yes, uh, yes. Let me add, I am from the South. Mm -hmm. I So I grew up being invisible. Let me add that I am a dark-skinned woman from mm -hmm. the South. So it was always... Um, uh, I, I'll give you an example and it's not even a bad example God rest his his soul because he wasn't a bad commander as a second mm -hmm. lieutenant a group of us uh, in the halls of Maxwell Air Force Base just walking the halls just talking to people end up having a conversation it was five six six of us just standing around having a conversation up comes uh, one of the colonels and he said oh are we having a meeting out here and I'm like what realized that we were all African-American and he kind of laughed and, and, and made a joke about the South, like, oh, you're in Alabama, set your clock back a hundred years. He walks off. And do you know what we felt the need to do? To disperse. Like, mm -hmm. ooh, we're all together. So we need to, to kind of leave because, uh, okay. And when you talked about um, the assimilate. So yes, that was part of the assimilation. Uh, the fact that I'm still growing back my edges right now was part of the assimilation because uh, this is the first time I felt like, you know, again, we would have the term and I don't know if they've taken out the regulations. I will say this. I'm so grateful how far we've come because mm -hmm. it says, hey, you have to be professional. And this didn't used to be professional. Right. This was Mm, it is uh what was the term ladies it used to be uh gosh what's the term i can't remember faddish faddish Donna. right My, not well groomed yes exactly not, yes. Well groomed. not well groomed faddish and that's what i was told my culture was my natural hair mm -hmm. is not well groomed because i had to make sure that it was straight pulled tight back in yeah. a bun, made sure that it was laid. And that was the only way I could be considered to be, I won't say even taken seriously, because then I would come into a room and uh, the next part, what you said, and I don't know if we talked about this, Shanique, because I'm gonna let the chiefs and Kiana say something. This mm -hmm. is the last example I'll give. Um, it was the, with regards to walking into a room it wasn't ever sitting at the table. Like, you know how when you go in, you always got the round table yes. and you always uh, got the wall. You got the wall huggers. 
always felt like I had to be a wall hugger, even as a lieutenant colonel. And it was finally, while in command, not, not even just saying, okay, I was a lieutenant colonel. I was a lieutenant colonel who was sitting in command, came into the room and me, and it was other females. It was two other females. It was three of us in total of, I don't know, 60. It was three of us. All three of us, one was a major, two were lieutenant colonel. We all hugged the back of the room. Hmm. And the guys came in, majors, heck, a captain. Guess where they all grabbed? <laughs> At the, the table. table. The table. And it wasn't until one of the colonels turned around and he looked at me, the OG colonel. And I say <laughs> this because I have to, if I paraphrase him, he, he turned around and looked at me because I was the senior one out of everybody. And he said, Tommy, why are you sitting back there? Make one of these blankers get up. <laughs> why are you sitting back there? And it was like, no, sir, I'm fine. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, we're so used to, uh, or at least I was so used to, I want to speak for everybody, that it, it was the, hey, I had to continuously minimize myself. It took me a long time to get to the point of saying, wait a minute, I have a voice and what I have to say is just as important as what someone else has to say. And the final thing is, is that when I did say some of the things someone else said, another male would say the same thing and he would get the credit. He would be the one. Mm. And I'd be like, did I not just say that? And then when someone else says, oh, I agree with what he said. And <laughs> like, mine a twilight zone but that, those are yes. just examples i'm sorry Lisa. i don't know if i answered your question completely but just examples of things i've experienced i'll let kiana and uh uh chief definitely add. so a lot of what you said uh colonel grant is a lot of my experience and i'll just share a little bit a little bit when uh uh peters when you were asking about assimilating it and or being invisible I'll say I've done all of that. I've assimilated, I became invisible, I've adjusted, adapted, went, faded to the black, the back, whatever you want to call it. I've done all of that in order to navigate where I am. So, uh, and I want to give a little bit of the audience some of what I came into when I came into the military. Number one, I had hair all over the place. I wasn't uh, relaxing it, permanent, as we call it, where I'm from. Um, It was all over the place. And we get to wear our hair the way we want. Well, when you come into the military, you have to tame that a little bit, right? But I didn't have the people to show me how to do that in a healthy way. I also, it was faddish in my neighborhood. I'm from Texas. uh, For us to get gold tooths at like, 16, 15, some people get them at 14. And so right in the front of my mouth, when I came into the military, I had a gold tooth. Mm. I was called everything from a hoochie to ghetto to, and these are from my supervisors. These are from my chiefs. This is how they would address me as a A1C. Forget my work qualities and the abilities that I brought to the table. So I came into the military, not into the military, I'm sorry, that was my first experience with the military. It wasn't until I had a master sergeant that set me down and explained to me 
why I was going through those things the way that I was. She was a female and she wasn't explaining it to me like it was my fault, but that is where I learned to assimilate. That is what I picked up from her conversation. She didn't use those words, but what she was trying to do is help me be successful. And she was showing me the best way that she knew how. And so as a Hispanic woman and going through the things that she was going through, she explained to me how my goal to how, what the perception of, of that was for other people. So what did I do? I went to the dental clinic and got it taken out. Hmm. She explained to me how my hair, when I was in services and I was on the grill, many people complained about me because they were uncomfortable that my hair was, um, not well-groomed was the term I always gotten. And so what did I do? I went, I got it cut off. I permed it or relaxed it, which is, you know, I'm still struggling now as Colonel Grant said, edges trying to grow back, going on deployments, putting braids that were not healthy, trying to fit into an image that the Air Force, you know, when I saw commercials in the Air Force back then, they, they were not people that looked like me. Mm -hmm. and when women were presented women were presented with their hair pulled back in a bun um and let let me not get on the body type because I definitely struggled (laughs) with the body type um I even had a supervisor that told me once that I was the terminology that he used and I apologize to your order your audience if this is uh a little bit too much but the terminology he used was bottom thick I had to, I, I had never been, I had been disrespected before, but that just took it to a new height because it came from a senior master sergeant. And what he told me is that in order to get awards, in order to be recognized, I needed to learn how to talk better. I needed to learn how to walk better. And the only way I was going to be able to walk better is if I did something about my bottom thickness. And so I'm not even going to get into when we talk about assimilating and going invisible, the diets that I went on that were unhealthy, the things that I put my body through to fit into this image that I thought was the only image and that I thought was the only way that you can become a leader. Mm. I didn't get introduced to Chief, to Chief Weatherspoon until I was a tech sergeant. Uh, no, I, I had already had master on. Yeah. So I had went through my career without certain types of things that we do for people today. I didn't get that as Colonel Grant was, was talking about. And then let's talk about the invisible piece. It got to a point in my career where I didn't want anyone to notice me. Mm. And the truth of the matter is, as we are exploring our vulnerabilities again, when you go through so many years of not wanting people to notice you, when they start to notice you, you don't know what to do. Mm. See, I have to have training from my board of directors to know what to do now that I'm on this front stage and speaking out and talking to people and wanting to inspire and encourage people. I have to have coaching and mentoring in order how to do that because it takes a mindset change. Yes. 
And that is one of the things that that 2020 and, and other years as well did for me is understanding that what I was taught as I was growing up uh, in the military that many of my peers did not experience. Um, I can walk into a room as a staff sergeant and not be noticed, but my peers who just got a DUI or DWI, just get, the first sergeant had to go get them out of jail two weeks ago, but you can step up and you can speak to that person and you can notice that person, but I'm nothing. And so I definitely echo a lot of the things that Colonel Grant said. Um, and it's, it's very unfortunate. And I hate that those things happen to me and that those things are still happening to other uh, individuals. But I can say for me that I do believe that it was a part of my journey. And I'm just glad that I was able to get through it. But um, to answer, I hope that answers uh, Peter's question. I could not get to where I am if there were not times that I did not assimilate and become invisible right. and fade to the back. Hmm. Ooh. Oh, man. She hit this with a, with a piece, the very first question out the gate. <laughs> um, yes, everything that Colonel Grant has said and Chief Egan has said, um, I've been in, I'm coming up on 15 years, but I came in as an airman basic from the South. Um, and from out the gate, I felt like I could not be my authentic self um, mm -hmm. to the point where basic training, I had micro braids and the AFI or the instructions for how to wear our hair was so contradicting because it said you could wear micro braids, but your braids had to be braided all the way to the end. And I right. remember in basic they getting in trouble because I said, well, who wrote this? Because clearly they've never had a micro braid in their head at all. But it seemed like straight out the gate in basic training, it was like the female PIs zoomed in right on the black females when it came down to hair. Mm -hmm. And they zoomed right into the black men when it came down to like facial groomings where there were so many individuals I knew who never had facial hair at all, but they were forced to shave, didn't know how to shave. And so they have razor bumps. And although that does not pertain necessarily to a black female, that was happening to the black males that I came in. And I'm looking at these rules and I'm like, these rules aren't for me. Like, do they actually want me here? And I'm like, because mm -hmm. my hair naturally grows out. It doesn't grow down. So when they mm -hmm. talk about a bulk size, they're talking about me. So they want me to then relax my hair where my mom, that, that was like the craze back in 06 to be natural, mm -hmm. not have any practice in your hair. And I'm like, well, how in the world am I going to make it through basic training? And then I went to Portugal where the European woman could not do black hair at all. Mm. So I'm seeing my friend's hair on the floor because I was like, they didn't, they, they missed a little liquid step for this perm. And my friend's hair were, were on the floor. And I'm like feeling like I have to fit into where a lot of my black mentors were telling me to change my first name, not to even go by my first name. Oh. And I remember, and it wasn't until I had a conversation with Chief Weatherspoon recently where I was like, even in that, I could hear some white leaders laughing um, because it, it got to a point where I was taught to be invisible, but also be the smartest person in the room. Mm. So I found myself wanting to know everything, be a jack of all trades, to know where everything was, um, not knowing that it was going to birth my purpose. But mm. in doing that, it was like you had no choice but to see me because I knew so much. Um, and so I'm like, man, how are they going to stop me? And so once we got rumors that they were going to, they're thinking about taking our names off of different awards and evals, mm -hmm. um, just hearing 
working in the CSS, hearing some of my white leaders laugh and say, this is how we then get ahead of that to make sure we have the right status quo in the room, put their names on the report. So I'm looking at these reports where it says Kiana is a standout, da 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 And in my mind, I'm like, man, these are officers just being personal, not knowing this was how they still were making sure my name, oh, I'm getting emotional. My name was on something to stop me from my purpose mm. or what they thought. And I was like, man, I didn't do anything to them. If anything, I felt like I followed the rules. I tried to be as quiet as possible. I tried to be in the back of the room. And it wasn't until working in policy uh, where there were certain situations where people didn't want me at the table where they were like, no, this is my scene. This is my subject matter expert. Kind of come sit at this table because I'm going to be asking you. And it wasn't until those moments where I'm like, man, you see me. You do see me. Yeah. Um, just like what Chief Egan was saying, um, I wanted to be in certain um, special fields where there were Black leaders who said I didn't have the look because I was too curvaceous. And so they would actually print off the reference that said, I didn't have like a professional military image. And I'm like, I take my uniform to the dry cleaners. I'm wearing uniforms that are too big. So I don't draw any unnecessary attention. I'm like, and I'm still not enough. So then it wasn't until COVID where I'm like, man, I wanted to be in the background. Although I am an extrovert for my job, I felt like I needed to be an introvert to succeed. So now I'm in a space where I don't want to be in the forefront, you know what I mean? Because it is something that feels uncomfortable because of the way that we have been groomed. And I'm just, I am thankful that we do have the Chief Weatherspoons of the world, and even Senior Harris and even Colonel Gray and Chief Egan's. Um, I was telling Senior Harris that some of my friends that are deployed in IUD Afghanistan have listened to this podcast, has, have listened to this series. And they called me asking about a board of directors and even saying, I brought my own shoes. I don't have to fit nobody else's I brought my own shoes. <laughs> so them to then match it, I'm like, man, as um, as scary as it feels and uncomfortable as it feels, um, oftentimes the people who know me best, they know how uncomfortable this even makes me feel to have a net, to feel protected. Um, it's like, okay, I can still go through this journey. Um, mm -hmm. And for me, it was, I just want, I want to be able to retire. So now it's a, whatever this looks like, um, we have been, I've been conditioned from day one to feel like I had to be invisible. The only time I matter, it seemed like, was Black History Month. And then recently, mm -hmm. all of these different um, things that have gone on with the, with the murder of George Floyd. Um, now I became the, one of the token Black women that had to come and tell these stories that I had to act like never happened to me. Uh, where individuals didn't want to hire mm -hmm. me by the sheer of just seeing my name because they didn't know if they were going to get a ghetto girl who was loud or roll her neck. Um, but now you want me to talk about this. And so um, we definitely have felt both sides of that. We're having to be invisible. But then also you then want to use my blackness to say, I'm not racist. Look, this is what I, I put this person right here at this table. <laughs> but you also put my name in the report. So then when I catch up to the individuals you feel like should be at this table, they're going to push me back because you can see my name says Kiana and that's not a white female. So it, it's definitely been a catch 22 where it is a bittersweet feeling to love something that you just wanted an opportunity mm -hmm. because I don't think I would be alive if I didn't have the military. Right. But then it's like, man, this, this opportunity wasn't made for me. So mm -hmm. how do you do that? I think, I think it's so important that we sit here and share 
these perspectives. And so what I saw the connection, like all of the, the leaders, they all had a connection. It was because I am a woman from the South. And so I'm from Philadelphia. And it's always so very eye-opening for me to hear just some of the things you all been through prior to entering um, the service and how those experiences led to maybe how you looked at yourself versus, and it makes sense for me because the conversations I had when I was younger, like right now y'all get Chief Weatherspoon, but Chief Weatherspoon was senior in the Weatherspoon, was well, senior him and I had a couple names. <laughs> Weatherspoon back then. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, and so, but I've, I've been consistent with how I have operated or maybe how I viewed myself. I was always a kick in the door, sit wherever I want to, you gonna make me get up. But I think it really had a lot to do with growing up in Philly, growing up with very strong matriarchs. Like my grandmother would walk through a dice game. The dice game would stop and they would get out of her way. Like that is the spot that I came from. And I think it's always just very enlightening to sit and hear other, especially black women, right? Because we, we look at each other with the side eye sometimes and we don't have any business doing that. And I think these conversations are so special because as a sister, I get to hear, okay, so when I see, you know, when I walk in a room and maybe one day I won't be the only one who look at me, but now I'm going to look around the room to see who hugging at wall. Right. I'm going to look around the room to see who, you know, who hesitant to take a seat. And I'm going to be the one to grab that sister by the hand. Let's go. We sitting right here. And so again, I thank you all for being so transparent, even though, me and Chief E been friends forever. She dropped a couple things. I'm gonna have to call her later because I want to hear more about it. You know, things that I things that I didn't know. I just knew when I met her that she was somebody who I instantly I heard she was amazing. I knew she was amazing, and I wanted to make sure that I connected with her. And me and Senior met over the phone. Met Kiana because she popped up in a Zoom thing I was doing. And Colonel Grant, you a legend. I hear about you all the time from Senior. And Alicia, I know you. I got we got to meet, and so. I just think these conversations are so, 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 so important because even as Black women, we may share melanin, but we don't share experience always. Mm. So I really appreciate, you know, just hearing that because it does help me to keep my eye out on certain things, you know, if ever I am not the only one in the room. Right. Uh, if I can just add this, I am so upset that I have to leave this conversation because y'all are giving me life right now. You really are. And just like you, Chief, I'm like, oh my goodness, I got to connect with Kiana. I got, you know, I got other questions now. Uh, but let me also add, you see Tommy up there? My name is Thomasina. I had to change my name, just like you said, just so that it could roll off people's tongues and they could understand it. Oh, and maybe Tommy won't seem as uh, harsh and as abrasive and as uh, uh, ethnic as Thomasina. And I actually started putting Thomasina on more stuff. And it wasn't until I went to Germany, went to Europe, where mm -hmm. I found people loved my name. It's actually Italian. Didn't even know that. Um, <laughs> number one. And the only other thing I will add, the reason that I went full natural was during my last uh, command was because I said, those other young ladies need to know it's okay 
to be who they are. And so just like Chief said, I was slow. I'm, you know, slow getting there. But when I finally got there, I hate them leaving the door because now, uh, as, as me and the senior always talk about, I'd definitely be kicking it down if I was staying. Yep. So, <laughs> Unstoppable. Yeah. Unstoppable. Um, <laughs> yes, absolutely. And our job is to make sure those coming behind us, yeah. that they get this before their senior NCOs, before yeah. their senior officers or whatever, for them to come in knowing who they are and being okay with it. So yeah. ladies, I'm really sorry because I do have to get off. I no, will continue okay. to the rest of this because I know y'all gonna drop some more nuggets that <laughs> I need to hear. So thank you. Thank Love you so much for joining us, ma'am. See, ma'am, she got me all I have to say, you know, your stories were very touching. I, I agree with Chief Weatherspoon. Just because we share the same melanin doesn't mean we all have the same journey. Yeah. And my journey obviously was a little bit different. My mentors were white males and I don't have the same plight as most of my sisters have experienced. So that is why it really, it really touched my heart. Right. And it was something that I want to dig deeper into in my dissertation because I know that it's happening. And because it hasn't really happened to me, I cannot turn a blind eye to it. And what can I do to make sure we shift that paradigm of thinking? Yeah. So yeah. I really appreciate your stories. And I try not to cry <laughs> hearing it myself. And I would say in my research, it shows that it takes a psychological toll on African-American women in the workplace. And my, my question to you, if you don't, if you don't mind, is no, you're good. At, what was the pivotal point in your journey that you started the healing process? And what does that look like for you now? Ooh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She cut me deep. <laughs> deep. Uh, <laughs> I think it, 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 it takes it's different moments, right? Because um, even coming in, and it wasn't until Chief Weatherspoon said something where even though I was raised in Florida, my mom, my family's from Cleveland, Ohio. So it was confusing for them. And so although there were certain times where I would come home and I was just this really neat child, that wasn't the example that I had at home where she, my mother always was like, "Where? why are you so quiet? Get up. We about to do that. Even to when in basic training or even like my first duty station and things that I went through, she would it was always you could come on home so I always felt like I could quit the Air Force my first two years and then I learned you can't just quit like you can McDonald's uh, but it was a she was like it's all right we're gonna make it work come on home so there were certain moments um I think once I we and we just had a conversation about this recently me and Chief and I keep saying that right um because again it wasn't until these conversations where you do have to lean on and have those conversations with your circle of trust where I had to, once I realized it's okay um, to have tactfulness and I wasn't being um, fake, so to speak, um, I, it allowed the healing process of, okay, there were other leaders who, although they didn't have the tools necessarily, some of the things that they were saying when it was like, okay, it's okay to tone it down. It wasn't a, it wasn't them trying to say I could not authentically be myself. Um, maybe some of the tools that they, they gave me the best tools that they had with what they were equipped with. Right. And so I'm thankful that as the journey went along, it was like, okay, so some of my black mentors who were telling me about my name piece, um, although I feel like their hearts were in the right place, um, 
they didn't have the tools to say other things, if that made sense. Um, so then it was a, okay, so they weren't hating on me or they weren't ashamed of who I was. So there were other like pivotal moments where it was like, man, okay, let's, let's, let's talk about this because people can't push a button that's not there. So if it's triggering something in me, I have to go back and look at what exactly is going on right now. What am I feeling? Um, so I think it, it, it's been big moments um, that have taken place that have forced me, and I'll speak for myself, that have forced me to have to dig deeper and look at whatever I felt like maybe I was over that I necessarily wasn't, um, that I needed healing from. I know a lot of some of the, the healing I can take that that takes place now is me being confident in knowing the rules or knowing that, okay, I'm at a certain rank or a certain status. So there are certain things that it's like, okay, I'm at this point so I can be more free, which I don't, I don't feel like is a good answer because I feel like um, some of the things I wish I knew that, that I wish I knew back then that I know now, I think I could have had a more of a healing process back then, but now it's a, okay, not a, what can they do to me? But I'm like, okay, I'm at this point. So now I then can focus on things that I really wish I focused on back then. But I think once I had the security and knowing who I was or what someone could do or what the rules were allowed me to have certain healing moments, if that makes sense. Okay. So I will, similar to uh, Kiana, I had many moments, but there was one in particular time frame that I'll point out where that really changed my mindset about knowing who I was and just kind of stepping up, stepping out and, and kicking doors down from a different perspective, if you will. Um, I remember being seven months pregnant at work and my supervisor came in in a mood and stood up to me while I was seven months pregnant and put her hands in my face. And she felt very comfortable in what she was doing. Now, had we been back in the streets, the outcome would have been a bit different. And those who know me know I'm a very, uh, I'm, I'm not, you know, that type of person, but, um, she put her hands in her face and she degraded me to a, I had never ever been degraded that way in my life with the things that she had said to me and to repeat them, it, you know, I'll get a little bit uh, emotional. So I won't do that. But she had, I was seven months pregnant. She had degraded me to a point to where when I went home, I was at, I, I could have lost my baby. I was seven months pregnant. That's how stressed out. I was. And so that happened. And then obviously a, a few months later, I birthed my son. And I will tell you, when I brought him into this world and I looked at him for the first time, it was no way in the world I could be a mother to my son, a strong mother, a good mother and a great mother, effective mother, however you want to look at it and allowing people to treat me the way that they were. And so taking from what Kiana said about being the smartest person in the room, at that moment, I became, you couldn't tell me anything about my job. Anything you asked me, you could not um, 
like I was the expert. I knew everything it was to know about my job. You had no choice but to notice me. And, and it's, you know, it's a little bit embarrassing to say, well, wow, it took you to the birth of your son to begin to understand that the way people were treating you were not right and different things like that. Um, the Air Force at that time was a means for me to take care of myself. It was a means for me to get an education. The Air Force offered a lot and I didn't just want to walk away from it like that. And so I felt like I had to endure certain things and assimilate and be invisible and, and be degraded in order to mm. fulfill what I thought was the best dream in the world. Mm. And so the other piece is, and I have three brothers and I see what they go through in society. How could I possibly prepare my son for the world, for society that he has to live in when I am allowing these things to happen to me? So I got strong real quick and all it took was a mindset. Now I say that to say, because I don't want the audience to believe I just woke up and it was just like that because it wasn't right. I had to get help. I had to get professional assistance with how to reprogram my mind to think that I am somebody. Right. I do not have to be treated like this. I wasn't treated like this at home. And now I come to this organization and this is what happens. This is not, this is not what it's supposed to be. So it took a lot of that over the years and it, and I had to stay committed to that process and be consistent with that process. I began to build that board of directors and advisors to help me along my journey because up until that point, I thought I was by myself and I wasn't. So you're right. It does take a mental toll, a psychological toll. And people think that when you go through all things like what we're discussing, you just wake up one day and you're different. It doesn't work like that. You have to get rid of that baggage. You have to let that baggage go. Chief Weatherspoon and I talk about that all the time. When I am in fear, when I feel like I am about to, that I just want to crawl into the fetal position again because I'm so afraid of something, something is complicated. I call her and she make me feel like I could fly. We were talking about that earlier. And see, once I get off the phone with her for about 15 minutes, you can't tell me anything. I could fly now. And then I'll call somebody else and they'll say, you know what? Hey, this is a different perspective. Look at it like this. So now I feel like I can fly. Now I have a separate, a different perspective. Okay, here it is. Beat the door down. What you got? Are you talking to me? You know, it's, it's, it's a different way of thinking. And so that's why for me, my board of directors is so important because they keep me grounded. They keep me in reality. Just because a person tells you something doesn't mean that it's true. And they keep my mindset very strong. And so what I would like to just say to the audience is that I'm sure a lot of the audience may have very similar stories in, as to what we're talking about, but just be reminded that although you, you're going through or went through whatever that is, get the assistance that's, that is out there for you. Utilize those resources to help 
dump that baggage. And I use the analogy of a cup of water all the time. I use this with my son. I have to, when I have to remind him of things. If you're pouring a cup of water in a cup and you notice that the water is dirty, what are you going to do? You're gonna pour the water out. But if you keep pouring water into the cup and the cup and, and, and the water is still dirty, you're going to start trying to, let's just say, problem solve. Well, is it the water that I'm pouring in the cup or is it that the cup is dirty? The water that you're pouring into the cup is clean. The information that you're getting, the resources that you're getting, the support that you're getting, that's good. But the cup, you can look at that as it represents you. You have to clean all that dirtiness out of you. You have to clean all of that negative, those negative perspectives and, and all those degrading things that people said to you over the years. You have to clean that out. So if you got to clean out the cup, why do you think you don't have to clean out yourself? You got to clean on, out your bird. mind. You got to get rid of that. And then once you clean that out, you can pour clean water into a clean cup. Mm -hmm. You represent the cup, your mindset, your actions, your behaviors, people that you have in your lives, your positiveness, what you bring to the table. As Chief Weatherspoon would say, your power. How can you get to the, the benefits of the water if your cup is always dirty? And a lot of us fool ourselves. I fooled myself for many years. My cup was dirty and I was steady pouring clean water in it, thinking I was getting it. Oh, I made staff, I made tech. Oh, I got master. And I still got dirtiness. Even now as a chief, I was talking to a close friend. I still have one thing that I haven't completely cleaned. My cup is not completely clean just yet because there's something that I still haven't dealt with from the past. So I leave that with the audience and I'm going to tell my son, I watched his, uh, I seen him make two touchdowns. <laughs> oh my goodness. So <laughs> if you see the video feed and you look at our faces and all of the jewels that have been dropped and the fact that we're listening and we just, we want to say and you know, we want to do everything and man, um, we're definitely going to look at cups differently. <laughs> Can I say something real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, something that a uh, chief said that was like very profound, it, it was, so I was used to being treated this way and it's crazy be, as, 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 as messed up as it sounds. Mm -hmm. Initially, what got me through was you've been treated this way anyway. At least now you're in a position where you still got to get paid. You still have an opportunity to do something great. So let's not show your behind because you're used to this. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. But then it wasn't until I felt like I had, a, had something to lose. And so I would say this all the time now where I'm like, I don't like to mess with people that have nothing to lose because they, they are so, you know, crazy and all over the place. And it wasn't until my son to where it was like, okay, I have to do something different because I can't sustain that it's okay to be treated a certain way because right. this is, I'm even on the outside where I do have relatives where 
they're treated like this. The difference though is they don't get paid. They don't get certain things where it's like, okay, how can I then be, they can't take from me what I know. So I wanted to be so smart to where it was like, even if you don't think I'm qualified because of how I look, what my name is, what my background is, you can't take from me what I know. Right. And so then I had to then have people around me where, and she said this, listen, and she's not, she, I don't think she's not on the series, but we keep referencing her. But Chief even said, like, you shouldn't be worried about what's on my head. You need to be worried about what's in it. <laughs> and once I knew it, it was the power of knowledge mm-hmm. and knowing. Anytime so any new reference came out, it was like I had to get smart on it. When I had my son and I came into the mecca known as ASPC, mm-hmm. I was doing an hour commute with a newborn, going through postpartum. And, and two of my biggest mentors were like, okay, you keep on saying about this drive. You keep talking about this newborn. We don't want to hear that no more. You've been through worse. So now it's a, how are you going to get proficient in this? Right. So then, it, then that's when the discipline and the work ethic came into play. What was like, they can't take from me what I, what I know. They can't take from me this portion of it to where it was like, okay, it wasn't enough of like, this is what we've always done. I needed to know why we were doing this, mm-hmm. why we did X, Y, and Z, where it then birthed a, I needed something greater because somebody else that, that, that means so much to me is depending on me. Mm-hmm. Because for me, it was a, I was okay with be, being mistreated or being treated a certain way and just getting by because it was just me. Then having that little person or having a purpose where it was like, even even aside from my son, that team, once I had people working for me that actually believed and cared about me or that were looking up to me, it was like, I really have to do something different. And it, then it just, it, the time it was just right where other things fell into place, but I was used to being treated like trash, which is bad to say out loud when you say it out loud. But it wasn't until like my son or having something that mattered more to me. Cause it was, it was crazy because it's like at that moment, I did not have a lot of self-worth when it came down to like, I was okay with being treated like this, mm-hmm. but it wasn't until that little person, I was like, no, this is not okay. I have to get stronger, but how can I do that? And like she said, it, it didn't happen overnight. So that change didn't happen overnight either. Yeah. But I had to then have people around me that would pour in those affirmations to right. tell me that I am worthy. It is like, this isn't okay. Like, it's okay to want more. It's okay to do more. Like, what else are we going to do? Like, this is cool, but you need to take it a step further. And so that circle of influence was so crucial. Like, sometimes people don't realize that they're just one circle of influence. One person, the the change that one person in your life can make Mm -hmm. for the better. And I think it's it's important, too, to remember sometimes normalizing um, poor environments becomes some type of weird coping mechanism like if you tell yourself well this is just how it is and I'll just muddle through it but I think once we come to the realization that you wait a minute this is not normal (laughs) this has nothing to do with normal it should not be like this I think that's where the discovery of um of power comes from right so 2021 and beyond no more normalizing toxic environments like we're not we're not doing that anymore so (laughs) So I do thank everyone for sharing that healing piece, right? Because uh, Chief Egan's talks about her board of directors. She talks about, you know, her purpose and her why for standing up for herself, which contributed to um, her healing process. And what you have to keep in mind is that, like everyone said, healing doesn't happen overnight. And it's okay to go to mental health. It's okay to 
find what works for you. It's okay to cut yourself off from those things that are toxic until you can figure out a way to navigate that, right? Or confront it. So I, I truly appreciate that part because as women, you know, we take on so much or we want to take on other people's problems, but yet, you know, we want to heal, we want to heal everybody else, but we're not healing ourselves. And that's a very important piece because since you walking around with all this stuff on your back and everybody else, they heal. They, you know, they run it through the streets. They can walk again. You know, they can lift stuff. They good. And meanwhile, you over here, you know, in the corner trying to figure out what's going on. So sis, it's okay to, uh, <laughs> as somebody said out here, like the bag lady, <laughs> Erica Badu reference, you carrying all this stuff, but that healing piece is so important. And it's mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, because a lot of these things that we go through can affect all of those, or it's a domino effect. So my mental health game is off. Guess what? I'm not getting up to work out. I'm eating crazy. And you know, no, I'm not praying today because I just, I ain't got it, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you, Alicia, for asking that question. And thank you, um, uh, Kiana and Chief Egan's and Chief Weatherspoon for adding to that. So we have about maybe 15 minutes left. And I know Chief Weatherspoon, I know you said you took some notes. <laughs> Is there anything extra that you would like to ask, you know, on the panel or bring up after listening to the different podcasts? Uh, so one of the things that I brought up and me and you, um, Shanika, we talk about, we've talked about this before and unfortunately Colonel Grant had to leave, mm -hmm. but if we could discuss, um, she said something in her podcast where she was saying she wanted to, to shift the mindset of how it was, you know, you never hear people say, I hate working for a man, but you okay. hear them say things like, you know, I hate working, I hate working for females. And so I kind of wanted to see, you know, because we had the other panel members, you know, maybe what they think about that or what that experience has been. Because again, you and I had talked right. um, and I've had that experience, but it was in such small offices that I was able to kind of change that perception because we were a little bit more personal. Right. Um, I didn't have that experience as a first sergeant where I had a long, you know, a larger pool of people I took care of, but I experienced it in a, a office full of five people where folks were trying to look me up and, oh man, she's a black female and this, and they were comfortable enough to tell me that. And I was grateful that they shared their fear because I was able to show them that they had to get to know me. But I just kind of was curious to see if we could talk about that, maybe what the experience were and what some perspective was surrounding that stigma, because it is a real thing. Even as of recently, right. you know, one of my favorite master sergeants in the whole world, she was running from me for six months before <laughs> I because of some type of trauma she had. So yeah, that's one of the things I wanted to kind of bring up. I know for me, um, that stigma is real, um, even for myself. And it wasn't, it actually wasn't until, um, I think one of the most challenging yet rewarding jobs I, or assignments I had was AFCC, but it wasn't working. It wasn't until I worked for now Chief Eleanor Comer 
Um, at the time, she was a master sergeant. Um, and when we knew, we being the group that I was a part of, that she was over us, um, she had so much experience in the job we were doing. And a lot of us had never had that experience. We didn't know what we were going to get. And we knew that she had been at AFCC before. So we were like, man, what? Like, she's about to be this witch with the capital B. And she actually ended up being the complete opposite, where I learned so many of my life lessons um, working for her. And I wish I had uh, talked about it or spotlighted that more in our one-on-one podcast, um, although some of my, my, my stories was like in the beginning for me. But mm-hmm. those pivotal moments as a leader, because I knew people did not like to work for me because I was tough. And I didn't know at that time how to, and we've talked about this with the whole disparity report that came out for the Air Force, where some of my worst leaders or most challenging leaders were leaders of color, mm-hmm. where I had to self-evaluate, like, was I intentionally tough because I didn't want people to think that I wasn't qualified or tough enough for that job, where mm-hmm. there was like this smooth laid backness about her where there's some leaders that are so much alike like her that remind me of her, like Chief Weatherspoon, where we was talking about, look, I promise I have more people I talk to than Chief Weatherspoon. I promise. I promise y'all. But just yesterday, I was like, certain situations will come up and they both won't be frazzled. It will be, really? So we're just going to do this. Um, and so when I did not make tech, I worked for her and I missed tech by one point. And when, if you've ever been that close, you, I, when I tell you, look at every piece of document. And it wasn't working for her where she was like, okay, what life lesson are you missing? And I was like, well, I got it all. So she was like, nope. She was like, your peer-to-peer relationship sucks. You don't know how to work with your peers. (laughs) And it wasn't until, not only did she tell me that, but she showed me through her actions where some of her closest friends were on the same flight that she was on. And she never backstabbed them. She never was like, um, what women are known to, how we're known to be catty or there can only be one dominant or a bad woman bad as and good on the on the scene like she changed the mindset and the mojo of that and so she was extremely um transparent and vulnerable with us and even with me going through some of my darkest moments for it's one thing for a person to say that they'll be there for you it's another when they literally are there for you and owe you nothing there's nothing I could have done you know for her so it wasn't until working for someone like her where one it made me reflect where then I had to be honest with myself, where I'm like, man, I wasn't necessarily a witch because you seek out to be. Um, It's one of those where it's like, if we want to be a part of the change, we have to self-reflect internally. And then like, okay, so the next time that I'm presented with an opportunity to leave, I'm going to try my best to emulate the ones around me or have the right individuals around me to help me, to keep me in check. But it literally wasn't until I worked for someone like her to actually see an example of, you could be cool. You don't have to be rah, 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 because she wasn't. She personally isn't like that anyway, but you don't have to be like that to get a like to get your point across or to even be respected. So when I see her and I see Chief Weatherspoon where I'm like, this person came in here and they were naked. And he was, she was like, really? Like, why? It's so like she put the humor in it to where it's like, oh, it's not that serious. Like, just bring it down a notch or whatever um it's like okay like you're showing me through your actions on how to handle situations and how to lead as a female and I think those are the best examples that I I was able to um have recently to show that okay I can lead lead in a different type of way and still be strong it's not going to take away from my worth 
my knowledge, none of that. But it definitely, um, it's real. And um, I have definitely cringed when I'm like, oh, I'm about to work for a female initially. Then it's a, man, I hope they come from a different perspective. Because if they don't, then it's a, okay, help me, help me navigate through these waters. How am I going to show them like they don't have to do that? You know, because I think it's an apprehension on both ends, just the way that women are conditioned where we cannot coexist. And I don't know why that is. Well, you see that in other light. Well, that's a long answer, but that's mine. <laughs> that's mine. You definitely, no, see, I appreciate it. You definitely see it. It's there. Yeah, you see it. It's there, but it, it wasn't until recently working for someone where I'm like, man, this is my first example of, man, you don't have to be rah, rah, rah. You could be real cool because she would be like, listen, it's been a while. And what I liked was it the same thing with you, Chief, where it's like, I don't, you don't know all the answers and it's okay to not know all the answers, but still be knowledgeable. Or she'll be like, mm, I know that if this is going on, something right here in the middle isn't right. Y'all go fix that. And she will walk off and we'll be like wanting to fix it. And then like, if we had to work long hours, she wouldn't necessarily be there the whole time, but she would show up with something to eat or she would take care of us. Um, just have that secret sauce, I call it, is to just care. I think once I worked for a female who actually genuinely cared um, and didn't matter how she looked or whatever, um, it made all, all the world of a difference that now I'm like, okay, this is, the, this, is, this, is the, this is the little sprinkle that's missing in this secret recipe is that care factor. Okay. Thank you, ma'am. Chief, um, <laughs> <laughs> tap out. No, she's still there. No, I'm I'm here, just trying to keep out the uh, back background noise. Chief, can you repeat your question, please? Because I, you know, I could go off on a tangent. <laughs> I want to make yes, sure I stick to the time. I'm sorry. Yes, ma'am. So I wanted. So the only thing I asked real quick in Colonel Grant's podcast, she was talking about you know just changing the narrative from you know you never right. hear women say I hate working for a male. You always right. hear people you know, overall say, um, I hate working for females. And so I mm -hmm. wanted to ask, you know, your perspective on that, what your experience has been, and just, you know, can you just speak to that perspective? Okay. So I'm not, I would have to process that question a little bit more, right? Um, to analyze it so that I can answer it better. But I'll say this, in my experiences, my troubles have been equal across the board with both genders mm -hmm. right it, it uh, now i have there are certain instances where i have expected for a female to understand more for instance when i was pregnant i expected for a female to automatically understand the different uh emotions and mm -hmm. and the physical limitations and all of that where um, in my experiences, I didn't have that. You know, I had a female supervisor that you could still get out there and do what you need to do and you could work long hours, you know, different things like that. Um, but overall, the experiences that I've, some that I've shared, they've been equal with males and females. I will say because of the majority of my career, I have worked with males being, you know, uh, my experience, males have been my leaders more. Uh, they've helped me out 
want to point that out. And then as far as female leadership is concerned, there's been twice in my career where I have had direct female leadership and um, the, the experience could have been better. And a part of that is because we were both females, right? And the expectation for me, um, I think my, my supervisors at the time felt more, um, they, they didn't want people to think that they favored me because I was a female. Mm. And so they were a lot harder. The expectations were, were to the stars, very unrealistic. And so I, I did I did have to experience that. But I wouldn't say that uh, females have, in my experience, have harsher leadership than males or anything like that. I would say that the folks, the females that I worked for, they expectation, their expectation from me as a female was a lot more and was a lot more unrealistic than what my male supervisors expected. So I don't know if that helps answer. No. Great perspective. I just want a perspective, ma'am. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. So <laughs> thank you all for answering, uh, you know, some of those impromptu questions. And at this time, I want to open the floor to anyone because we're all leaders. We've all led in some um, shape or fashion. And before we sign off, um, I just want to know what words of encouragement, because y'all know I'm all about speaking life and, you know, making sure uh, people can walk away with something. Um, what words of encouragement do you have for the male or female that may be listening um, right now who is trying to figure out how am I going to finish out 2021 as a leader? Because last year was self-reflection. So we've learned some things about ourselves. So now, what encouragement do you have for the application piece of what you may have learned um, on your journey? So I would like to start with uh, Chief Eagle. So I'm gonna say this, anything that, you want to accomplish or or um, succeed at it is very important for you to clean your cup you you, you must clean your cup right um, in order to reap the benefits of those things that give you life which will be the water and so um, that, that is pretty much what I would leave with the audience. It's, it's very hard for an individual to try and inspire others, encourage others, navigate through their troubles or on their rough journey when they have so much that they're dealing with inwardly. And so to be successful um, with 2021 focus areas for, for me, it is very important that I stay committed and consistent with not allowing certain things to bog me down. Things like uh, 
people's expectations of what I should do. Mm -hmm. um, watching people as examples when they are possibly not the best example. <laughs> Utilizing my board of directors to get that mentoring and that coaching and that uh, support. And, and sometimes just a listening ear to call somebody's name and then, you know, go back to business. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, th that's pretty much what I would leave with, with the audience. Thank you. Uh, next, we'll go to uh, Kiana. I would say um, the biggest thing is even even with us reflecting in 2020, uh, one of the biggest lessons I learned is you people want you to be present and not perfect. And I thought for a while, mm -hmm. like, man, you shouldn't have to be in these. I shouldn't want to be in these spotlights or I'm not qualified or I'm not ready because I'm dealing with my own mental. Or I'm trying to, you know, get me together mm -hmm. and life's always going to happen. And so a lot of times individuals just want somebody that's present um, and authentic um, to right. show that you actually care, but not perfect. And um, I think just being present, showing that you care, having the right level of influence around you is very um it makes the world a difference. And we're, if 2020 didn't teach us anything, I think we were holding our breath for Rona to leave and baby girl set up shop. <laughs> so it was like, okay, when she leaves, I'm gonna do this, 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 this. And if nothing else, along with self-reflecting, it was like, don't wait on the perfect moment. Like this is the perfect moment. So just do it and just be present and be authentic, be your authentic self. Okay, thank you. So from one of our attendees, this is what she has to say. Give yourself grace. You are taking life with all the hats that you wear one day at a time. But remember that self-care is the best care to be what you need to and for others. Okay, ma'am. <laughs> and then uh, Chief, Chief Weatherspoon, what you got? Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> so it's just y'all know I love like quotes and I share stuff and I'm looking so one I don't know who wrote it so I don't know who to give credit to but it was this thing that I used to see all the time that said yesterday is history tomorrow is a mystery but today is a gift that's why they call it the present so that kind of aligns with what Kiana said like be present in the moment be grateful um for the experiences you had we refer a lot to 2020 right because we said 2020 was a year of clarity and a year of reflection um my mom used to have a saying that goes, you know, hindsight is 2020. So although, you know, we might have put off a whole bunch of things that we wanted to do, I think it's important to look back at those things and maybe switch it up to see how you actually can do those things now. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not traveling. Maybe it was going to school or starting a business or all of that. But I think just looking at those things, small wins that you can do each day to continue to be excellent and not looking to the person on the left or the person on the right and comparing yourself to what they have going on. Right. What they are doing and what they have going on is their business, right. right? And so I think it's important for the listeners to understand that um, in the vein of the topic today, which was leadership, right? It was the She Leads series. Lead yourself first. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Be right. Be a guide. Make sure your moral compass is pointed in the right direction. 
and, and focus on leading yourself first and all of the good things that you have to give will spill over and you will end up making an impact that way. All right. Thank you. So there you have it. My valued listeners, you have all of this knowledge and these jewels. And yes, I even say this sauce for your leadership bag. Um, it was amazing to sit down with everyone and have a candid conversation. And even though it wasn't scripted, my cup is full because I learned something about some of my sisters today that I did not know, right? And I think that's the beauty of a tribe and a sisterhood and you know, leadership in general, whether you're leading yourself or an organization or what have you, it's getting to know those people and their experiences and their stories, which is going to help you with those relationships. It helps you with that leadership. And I am forever grateful um, for those of you that have trusted me to assist you in telling your story uh, for the masses. Um, Please know that I am forever grateful. And I'm sure that our listeners are forever grateful because they know they're not taking this journey alone, even though some days it feels like it, right? You come home, you throw in the towel and you quit. But the beauty of it is listening to this gives you the passion and the energy to get back up the next day and do it again. So with that, Dope Soul crew, new listeners, um, thank you for embracing the She Leads series. Um, For those of you that know me, I just wake up with an idea and I run with it. Don't really know how it's going to pop off, but the uh, feedback has been amazing. So I just want to say thank you all so much. And remember, when you're in a position of leadership, it's because you're supposed to be there. So with that, be great. Lead unapologetically and be your authentic self. People are either going to gravitate towards you or they're going to walk away. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to know that you are who you're supposed to be and you're going in the direction that you're supposed to go in. So with that, thank you. And we are out. Thank you for listening to season one of the She Leads podcast series. It has been a pleasure taking this journey with you. Look for season two in the fall of this year. If you have any topic suggestions or questions you would like to submit for season two or would like to provide feedback, please feel free to leave a message via the podcast if you are listening on the Anchor platform. You can also send an email to the she speaks at gmail.com. Remember, lead unapologetically while being your authentic self.